Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. the music and the singing and the harmony that we've heard tonight but what we and that has assisted us and helped us I'm not minimizing these ministries and I hope they know that but what we feel here tonight is not the end result of just some emotional response to the beat of a drum it is not the charisma of a praise and worship leader that says come on now and he with his own strength has pulled us into a place that we don't even desire to be. But what we feel here tonight is the purity, the presence, and the power of God. And I, I, I don't, I, please receive this in the spirit I see it in. But you can tell a difference when the spirit of God is pure and when it's contrived. When something's just kind of worked up, it cheapens that. And I appreciate the purity and the depth I know you're standing the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 I, I think what I have to say tonight or what the spirit of the Lord would speak is going to be right in line with what we feel because I, again I say this is the end result of right living Amen. this is the end result of making right decisions every day walking straight letting our light shine the book of Matthew 5 and 16 let your light so shine before men that they it's a broad statement that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven our lives are a living epistle every day every day people listen to the inflections of our voice they watch the countenance of our face amen they're watching they're watching. 
If I could, you, you may be seated. If I could just say this, and, and if you will uh, take this as a testimony, and that, that's surely all, all that it is. But yesterday morning, I was in the hospital. I, I got uh, to visit somebody. I wasn't in the hospital. I was in the hospital to visit with someone. And as I was making my way onto the elevator, there was one other lady that stepped on just ahead of me. And so we rode the elevator in silence, normally we gave, gave one another that kind of elevator nod. I think we all know, even know what that is, the elevator smile. And uh, we made our way, uh, we were actually going, ironically, to the same floor, to the same place. When we got to the information desk, the uh, lady that came there to help us uh, decided that we would just, she would, she would take both of us back. We were both going essentially to the same place, not the same room, but the same place. And so as we began to make our way down the hallway, the little lady that came out to help us, she, after we had made several paces, we'd probably walked almost the length of this building, she turned around and looked at me and she said, excuse me, sir, she said, are, are you a pastor? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, I just knew it. And the lady who had been on the elevator with me and just walked in silence up to this point, she said, you know, I almost asked you that on the elevator. And she said, you just have a certain glow about you. I put my arm around her. I said, if I gave you my home number, would you call my wife and talk to her about this <laughs> glow? <laughs> she didn't take me up on the offer, so I'm not sure how. I'm just testifying. It was just another day in my life. I was just doing what I do. Right? That was, that, was, that was my duty yesterday morning, and that was a responsibility that I was gladly fulfilling, but somebody was watching. And so let your light so shine before men that people can see something in you that would glorify the Lord. When we decide to follow the Lord or when we made that decision, there, there were many mandates that were that were laid upon our lives. I, I don't feel a decision to live a Christian life is a decision that's made in a vacuum. I, I think it's a lifestyle that requires a lot of intention on our part. I think that we have to be pretty intentional about our everyday lives and the aspects of, of, our, of our lives. While I consider it a, a great privilege to live for God and to represent him, and I, I'm not speaking about the ministry, I'm just talking about being a part of the body of Christ, I consider it a great privilege, but I also always want to live with the knowledge that, that there is also responsibility that comes along with this. Because always with privilege there is responsibility. There, there is that that weighs upon our lives that we, we have to give account for. And so our goals in life have to be and maintained on heavenly things. And that sometimes can be quite a challenge in the noisy world that we live in today. Have you ever thought about how difficult it is often just to get in a quiet place? <laughs> just to get alone in a, in a quiet place. And, and uh, sometimes we are almost so inundated with noise around us everywhere until we ourselves have to be pretty intentional about breaking that habit. And so today when we talk about the term or use the term Christian, 
It's used in the most broad sense, and if I can say almost abused to the point uh, because it is used so very, very loosely. And so with that said, I want to go back to the very beginning and consider the birthplace of the term Christian. We first read or hear this term when it's applied or as it's applied to, to the believers for the very first time ever in the book of Acts chapter 11. In Acts 11 and 26, here's what the scripture says. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so that's the very first uh, ever mention or the, the discovery of the word in the New Testament. Prior to this, uh, the followers of the Lord were either referred to as believers or disciples or whatever. And uh, I, I alluded a moment ago at how uh, the, the word Christian, I think, is far more than just a title. That's far more than just a brand. I believe that it's a way of life. And that is what I was talking about in my opening comments, that what we feel here tonight is the end result of right living. Now, I don't say that in a holier-than-thou way or in a haughty way, but I believe that we must live for God every day and not just pop in here and do our thing and then just go back out into the world. People are looking for something that's real. Amen. You know, we, there's a term in, in the world that we use a lot that you get what you pay for. And uh, if you've lived long enough, you've probably found there to be a lot of merit to that, that, that sometimes you think you're, you're really getting a good deal when in fact you may not be getting that at all. And so people in the, in the world that we live in are looking for something that's real. And I'll promise you this, sometimes we think that people have the opinion or the overwhelming opinion is the price tag is just too much. But I'm gonna tell you something, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And so there's never a sacrifice that you or I have ever made that God has not richly rewarded that again and again. And so the simple truth that we can never, ever fail to forget is that a person's fruit, individually, a person's fruit identifies them for what they really are. You don't have to be around somebody very long before you begin to really pick up on what is important to them. In, in Matthew 7, 16, Jesus even said this. He said, you shall know them by their fruit. You're going to know. You're, there's going to be something in their life that evidenced uh, my presence or at least evidenced their heartbeat. In truth, uh, we don't have to declare anything with our lips. We can say it all with our lives. Amen. Amen. I believe that. Our lives will tell a much more accurate story if we will just live what we declare. Just just wake up breathing that, living that every day. I believe that if the fruit of a, tr of a true child of God is going to be evidenced in a variety of ways, and I'm not here to give you a, a, an exhaustive laundry list, but I believe that the way we walk, the way we talk, uh, where we go, how we dress, how we conduct ourselves, the things that we find entertaining, the things that we find appalling, I believe those things are going to be uh, evidence. There are evidence in our lives about what really matters to us. And, and, and while I think these are important issues, we cannot ever discount how far our attitude goes toward declaring our testimony. Uh, I've, I've said this not to be cute, even though people have found it cute, but uh, I've, I've, some of the most sour people I've ever met have been professing Christians. Yeah. 
some of the most hateful people I've ever met. Amen. That's the absolute truth. And uh, I, I think, Lord, have mercy. There is a, there is a real conflict here. We, uh, we're, our attitude, everything about us ought to, ought to declare to us there's something different about this man or, or about this woman. The attitude reflects, I believe, the mind of Christ. Paul told the Philippian church, he said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so I need God to change my mind, the way I think and, and, and the prism through which I look at life through. I, I want to be able to, uh, to declare something. I was texting back and forth with someone and it was a little bit of a lighthearted joke but, uh, or a little bit of a lighthearted conversation as it were. And I was trying to encourage someone and they just would not accept the encouragement. And so my final text to them was, I was trying to present the glass half full, but, I, but, but you win. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to point you in another direction, trying to give you a different prism to look through, but you win. And so when we look back at Acts 11, the reason that, that the believers were called Christians, this wasn't just a title. This was not some random thing. Uh, someone said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's just call them this. This was not them being branded as it were in a derogatory way, but the reason they were called Christians at Antioch is because their lives had so reflected the life and ministry of Jesus Christ until the way they talked, the way they lived, the way they loved, everything about them began to give them away and they were known uh, as being Christ-like. And of course, if you've been around more than a little while, you know that the word Christian really means that or literally means that is to be Christ-like. And so the word Christian is used two other times in the New Testament. One of those is where Agrippa told Paul in Acts 26 and 28, almost thou persuadest me, almost, almost you taught me into being Christ-like, almost. And then again, Peter discussed the suffering of, of, of the life of a believer and he talked about persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 16, he said, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, as being Christ-like, if you suffer because your life is emulating the life of Christ, don't be ashamed of that, but glorify God. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't, don't be ashamed that you don't fit in. That's what Simon Peter was trying to say because everybody's not going to embrace your lifestyle. When you don't laugh at their jokes, you're not going to be part of the club. When, when what entertains them doesn't entertain you, then you're not going to get a pass to the front row. Amen. So while we can't escape all the problems of life, I certainly know this for sure, we will survive them. We're, we're, not, going to, we're not going to escape. There, there are some things that we encounter, things that we go through. I was talking to a friend of mine today who was telling me about a mutual friend who has been just so mightily used of God, pastors a tremendous, tremendous church in the state of Arkansas, and he was talking to me about some of the things that he was going through in his own life with his health and other things, and you're just thinking, wow, wow, wow. So we can't escape, we can't escape the problems of life, but we will survive them. Second Timothy 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, the Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same, he said, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
And so I want to not only be able to pray verse number two in my life, that I would be able to not only receive and retain and understand the word of God, that I would not only be able to read the word of God with eyes of revelation and with a mind of understanding and in a mind of comprehension, but I want to also pray, Lord, help me now. Don't let this heart of mine just become the Red Sea that just receives and never gives anything away. But let me also be one that can commit this same gospel into the lives of others so that it can continue on. And so I want to pray verse number two, but I also want to pray verse number three and help me to endure hardness. Help me to endure those difficult times of my life. Now Jesus knew that his disciples were going to face some trying circumstances as they began to spread the gospel. Therefore, he gave them instructions that would help carry them through anything that they faced. And so we refer to these many times as the Beatitudes. Jesus shared these marvelous nuggets of truth in what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. One thing we can be confident of is this. These instructions were not directed in the times when all is well. But these instructions were directed to the church and to the disciples and to our heart so that we could hold them and know that this is going to sustain me. This is going to keep me. Some of the words that are used in the Beatitudes follow a pattern of trouble. It's not all that encouraging when you begin to read them at first, especially if you just take them at face value. Because we, we read words like poor, mourn, hunger, and thirst. We read words like persecuted. And, and so that kind of causes us to bristle a little bit. The other subjects dealt with in this sermon are equally revealing. And so we see what God is trying to plant into the lives of those that's, that's going to be pushing this gospel forward. And he said there's going to be some times in your life you're going to experience. And so I want to deal with that. I've said often and in, in, uh, perhaps more often in recent times that we can't, you know, we can't just claim to be born again on one hand and then just continue to embrace the hang-ups of our old nature on the other hand. That's a tremendous conflict. In time, we must somehow, with the help of God, be able to harness the old man and allow the Spirit of God dwelling within us to be the dominant voice in our lives. And so if we're not careful, we'll just, we'll just hang nails on our personal walls of our heart and we'll just say, well, you know, I'm going to excuse, I'm going to excuse my lack of discipline or self-control because that's this there, I got this from here, I got it from there, whatever you want to try to excuse it or blame it on. But you can't just go through life blaming all of our shortcomings on other things. At some point, I mentioned this recently, I, I, that we can't just pray that God would forgive us. At some point, we also need to pray, God, deliver me. Amen. If I got a mouth that speaks before I think, I don't want to always just be praying, Lord, forgive me for saying that, but I want to say, Lord, I want you to deliver me. Amen, from this quick trigger tongue. I want you to deliver me from that. I want you to help me. If I've got a mind that, that many times is just too suspicious. I don't want to just always pray for forgiveness, but I want to ask God to deliver me from that. Some of the blessings that's promised by the Lord uh, on those who have the right attitudes are indeed contained in this Sermon on the Mount. And so with that, I want to turn our attention to Matthew 5, and, and we're just going to go through this this evening. Um, the Bible talks about 
certainly in, in the beginning, the first three models that Jesus taught, he talked about poor in spirit, he talks about mourning, and then he talks about meekness. And, and the reason I wanted to kind of just start off right here is not just because they're in succession, but I, I think that many times these are under, misunderstood because to a true Christian, these are the elements of and the nature of Jesus Christ, but because they're so misunderstood or so easily misunderstood, I want to I try to explain them a little bit further. Poor, the word poor obviously can refer to the state of a person who is destitute of life's goods. We understand the word poor. Mourning is a word that we also understand. It can describe somebody that has suffered some traumatic event in their life and so they are in a state of mourning. The word meek is often confused with the word weak. That meekness would be equal to, to weakness but Jesus did not intend for us when we read and begin to read from these scriptures in Matthew 5, he did not intend for us to just grab a few word pictures that fit into the 21st century thinking and then allow that to dictate what he is really trying to say in our lives. On the other hand, the word that, that precedes these, all of these beatitudes is the word blessed or blessed. And that's a tremendous word. Translated from the Greek, the word means supremely blessed or fortunate or well off. And so blessed or blessed is the man. And so verse number uh, three of chapter five, the very first of these, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so until we really come to a point in our lives where we reach and realize that on our own, we are spiritually helpless. And, and, and I know that I'm somewhat to some degree preaching to the choir tonight, but I can tell you this, that, that we have stood at the base of the mountain of helplessness and realized that I can't get this done by myself. I don't care how much talent, I don't care how much abilities we have, we, we're just, I don't, no matter how shrewd we may consider ourselves to be, there are times that we need to come to the end of ourselves and realize that I can't do this without God. I'm spiritually helpless. And until we come to that place, we will never enjoy the true power of the kingdom of heaven. I mean that with all of my heart. Because as long as we feel like that I've got this, as long as we feel like I can handle this, I have whatever resources I need to make this happen, to meet whatever needs, then we'll never see our need for the Lord. And do you know that primarily that is the issue in America? Amen. It's because people don't need the Lord. By and large, they have everything that they need, and so there is no need of God. And uh, so Jesus was certainly not referring to uh, material poverty. He was referring to a person's spiritual poverty. And so if we want to have a spiritual relationship with the Lord, then we, we have got to give our lives and our passions and our, our possessions, we've got to give that to him and realize he's not just talking about somebody that doesn't have a car to drive or clothes to wear. He's talking about people that are suffering from spiritual poverty. When you come to the end of yourself and you realize I don't have what I need and so I'm going to take this to the Lord who said he would meet our needs according to his riches in glory. And so I come there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The fourth verse says, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. That, that may sound somewhat uh, odd in our modern way of thinking. No one would want to be mourning. 
But if we, if we look at this through a, a different lens tonight, if we could just consider firstly what the Apostle Paul has to say about sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, here's, Paul said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so the sorrow that the Apostle Paul refers to in, in Corinthians here is a type of repentance that leads us, or a type of mourning rather, that leads us to repentance. Amen, a brokenness that leads us to a place of, of, being, uh, of, of being ripe at all times for repentance. I, I've, I've said many times publicly, I've said it privately, I've said it in prayer, I, I, I've said it in counsel. I do not want to live a life that God has constantly got to beat me into subjection. I don't want that. I don't want that kind of relationship with the Lord. I want to be able to feel the nudge of the shepherd's staff. Amen. I want to be able to feel the nudge of his presence and the quickening of his spirit in my life. I'm not professing to you that I've always got it right, but I, that's what I'm reaching for every day. I don't want you to have to beat me into subjection. I don't want you to have to shame me into worshiping you or praising you. I want there to be a ready praise on my lips. I want my heart to always be ripe toward the spirit and the attitude of repentance. Amen. I, you know, there are some people that really struggle to say, I'm sorry. That's the truth. And furthermore, they, they struggle even harder than that to mean it. But I want to I have a, a, a heart that is ready to repent. I, I'm sorry. I want to make this right. I Amen. I, I want. I want to get this right. I want. Let's 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 put this to rest. I want to do whatever we need to do to get this right. And so, what this is what Jesus is referring to those who sorrow in repentance. Consider, if you will, the pattern of which Jesus is speaking of. Godly sorrow. That, that, that's a natural follow up to somebody that's spiritually bankrupt. Amen. Somebody that realizes they're spiritually bankrupt, there is a, the, the next thing to follow that would certainly be the spirit of sorrow, the spirit of sorrow. And so by repenting of our sins and being baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and receiving the Holy Ghost, in doing that, we receive and experience the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we experience the sorrow of repentance, that's an initial step that takes us to a much more beautiful plan for our lives. I, I, I'm, I don't ever want to forget the value of repentance. I don't ever want to forget the value of God forgiving and washing and cleansing. The fifth verse says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. People, as I mentioned a moment ago, in the world have mistakenly viewed meekness for weakness, but oh, how wrong. Oh, how wrong. Meekness means gentle. Enduring all things with an even temper, tender, free from haughty self-sufficiency, tender of spirit. I promise you this, with every fiber of my soul, a person who exhibits a spirit of self-control is far, far from weak. Far. In all honesty, that's the kind of person that everybody else wants to be around. You want to be around, nobody wants to be around somebody that's contentious all the time. 
Amen. But somebody that has self-control, I, I don't like to be around people. You never know how they're going to respond. I mean, there's like a, you know, just their fuse is so short. They just, you know, never know what's going to send them into oblivion. I'm uncomfortable in those situations. And, and if I can help it, I don't sign up for that. Amen. And, and, and so I, I want to be a person that can, that can be meek, meek in, in my spirit. The life of a Christian is not a series, of course, of ideal events happening to perfect people. That's far from true. But instead, I think the life of a Christian is, is imperfect people that's being perfected through difficult circumstances. We learn how when you come to the end. I, I know I've quoted Brother Cor, and I don't know if he quoted this from someone else, but uh, he's the first one I ever heard say that you never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that this is where my strength comes from, then we're perfected through those difficult circumstances. The sixth verse says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think one of the most blessed individuals that you'll ever find is somebody that's always hunger, hungering and thirsting after more of God. They're always looking some of the most brilliant minds, some of the most brilliant Bible minds that I've ever been around are men and women who are constantly searching the scriptures and they are digging for more and more and more. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I, I, I don't think it would perhaps be wrong to share this, but, but Sister Pamer shared with my wife and I after her, the ladies' conference, she spoke in, a, in kind of a split session, a, a part one and part two. And so uh, I, I listened to that. I listened to the entire uh, message both days and, and was so encouraged by that and, and uh, we talked later after she had gotten home and she said that, that, that she had been working and studying and praying about that for four months four months for one message for one event four months that's the kind of people I want to be around now I, I'm, I have heard Sister Pamer speak on many 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 occasions and I'll promise you that she had enough things to say in her briefcase that she could have wowed if that had been the intention that entire audience of ladies in that ladies conference but she felt God had dealt with her about something specific somebody that was hungering and thirsting after righteousness does that make sense that's who I want to be around some of the most blessed people I've ever been around some of the most blessed people I've ever found are those that have never been satisfied they've never pushed the plate back and said I've had enough Amen, they're just hunger and thirsting after God to touch their lives and speak to them. And so one of the goals that I think that we should have is to increase the appetite for the things of God. I think there's a powerful principle when we open the book of Job and when we're first introduced to this man before we know anything about his success, before we know anything about his loss and failure, and before we know anything about his restoration, this is what we find out about Job. He was a man that loved God and he hated evil. He had his priorities straight. He had his priorities straight. It's not enough to just love God. There's a lot of people that love God, but they don't hate evil. Amen. They love God, but they got their eye peering over the fence and they, well, I don't know if that's all that wrong or I don't know if this is all that out of balance, but I'm going to tell you that we need not only to fall in love with Jesus Christ, but we need to fall out of love with this world and all that it has, all of its goods. We need to fall out of love with that. 
I don't want that to be what makes me laugh. I don't want to be that that makes me be entertained. I don't want that that capsulizes, captures my mind and my thoughts. I want the spirit of the Lord, amen, to touch me. And so I think these principles go hand in hand. In the book of Romans chapter 16 and verse 19, he said, Paul said, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple to that concerning evil. Amen, I would like for you to be wise unto the good things, but, but simple concerning the evil things. And, and he said, love, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Abhor that that's evil. Cleave to that which is good. Amen, the church has been silent too long. I realize tonight I am one man, one pulpit, one church, but I, I say tonight that the church has been silent too long. We have been too passive for too long but by thinking this would never happen or that would never happen and, and the enemy has just encroached little by little by little by little and they rejoice. I promise you, hell rejoices over every one sixteenth of an inch that it, of ground that it gains. And so I say, Lord, help me to hate that which is wrong and fall in love with that which is right. Hallelujah. I want to love this word. I want to love this book more than I love anything else in this world. I'm not trying to say this to sound convenient tonight. I mean that I want to love the word of God and the ways of God and the principles of God. Amen. I want to love that and not the world. The, book, the, the Bible says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so here it's just very cut and dry. It's just this simple. If you, if you want mercy, you better give mercy. You know, there are some people that wish I was a lot tougher on things. There's people sitting here wish I was a lot tougher on things. Especially concerning somebody else. But when the table's tilled, everybody all right? But when the tables tilt and kind of life goes sour on their block, boy, I sure hope he's in a good mood Sunday. I want him to walk lightly. Because when we want mercy, we want mercy. But the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I want to be able to exercise mercy because I need mercy. Amen. You know, I know I've referred to this many times, so pardon me, I'm kind of debating whether to mention it again or not, but just through the years I've had the occasion many times to, to go to court with people, and not always church people, but just to go to court with them, to be there as a, not, not even a witness, just to be there as a friendly face. And I'm going to tell you, when you're standing in front of, in, when you're standing in a courtroom and judgment is being passed, that's not playtime. That's a sobering atmosphere. When somebody's life, with the next few words that are uttered, is about to be possibly forever changed. I've been sitting in a courtroom more than one time where I heard these words, I hereby sentence you to the rest of your natural life. 
I'm, I'm not saying they were guilty or innocent. I, I'm not suggesting that they got railroaded. I'm, I'm just saying that there's something sobering about it. It'll, it sucks the air out of the room. I promise you that. Mercy. And so guilty or innocent, that person, that man or woman that's standing in front of that desk, you know what they want? Mercy. It's not about guilt or innocence now. It's not about guilt or innocence, but I, I need some mercy. And so what has been commonly described as this dog-eat-dog world, as a Christian, we, we, we got to learn how to exhibit that element of mercy in people's life because we can't expect mercy from God if we withhold mercy from others. It, it, is, it was said that a mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed the same offense twice and because of that, justice demanded death. This mother said, I am not asking you for justice. I am asking you for mercy. To which Napoleon replied, but your son does not deserve mercy. And as only a mother could do, she stood in the face of sheer power and said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And with that, he was pardoned. I'm going to tell you that mercy is not about whether somebody merits it or not. How much mercy you want flowing in your life. Amen. I, I want it flowing well in front of my house. <laughs> Verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The psalmist David prayed that he might have a, a pure heart, a pure heart. Listen to these words, Psalms 19 and 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Now there's two different things. Two completely different worlds right there. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Let this outer man and this inner man be in agreement. And I pray God that whatever that is would be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer. I pray God that within and without that my motives and my actions are pure and they are without motive. Amen. Uh, ulterior motives. It, it, it's, an, it's, an uncomfortable to, uh, it's an uncomfortable experience for me, and I'm sure for you, to be around uh, people. And thankfully, I, I, I say this unbelievable, but I, I am thankful that, that in my line of work, I am not often exposed to, as some of you, are every day to people who just talk filthy. And I'm thankful for that. I, I realize that that's a privilege that I have that many of you do not have. Uh, you, you work in an environment that sometimes you hear and see things that probably um, that's very, very unsavory. And so it's, it's an uncomfortable experience to be around people that are always just talking filthy. Just, just, And it, to me, it's just as uncomfortable to be around people who take everything that you say or everything that is said and infer some impure idea into that. You know, people just take every little thing and they, they slant that to something vulgar or something. Uh, that, that's an uncomfortable position to be in. And so, so David was saying, Lord, I want my, my mouth and my heart to be clean. I want it to be right. I want that to be before you something that, that, is, uh, that is transparent. I want you to be able to see that and let it be acceptable in your sight. David said, let that be acceptable in your sight. 
I think that Titus deals with what I'm referring to here, just captures the essence of this in chapter 1 and verse 15. When Titus, and Titus was pleased, don't ever read this scripture and think that Titus was up on the fence singing his own praises, but there's a powerful truth here. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But until, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Now, I know that we're in the real world, and so you've heard people just take any little innuendo, anything that's said, and make some little, some dirty or some little innuendo out of that. And, and, uh, but Titus says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled, all things are defiled. And so whatever is in your heart, that's, the, that's what's gonna filter what's coming out. And so I pray, Lord, with David, I say, Lord, let my mind and my heart, let it be pure in you. Amen, I wanna have inward purity. The book of Matthew 5 and 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Now I'm gonna tell you, it takes no intelligence to stir up trouble. None whatsoever. But it takes a real peacemaker to settle strife somebody that can come in with a spirit of peace and settle a matter. Solomon had such a spirit. Proverbs said in 16 and 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know there are people that hate to love you. <laughs> but they love and respect you. You know why? Because when a man's ways please the Lord, God said, I'll make your enemies, your enemies be at peace with you. And so I believe that a true Christian has their values beyond this world. And the song we sing often, this world is not my home, it's passing through. As our musicians come this evening, I will close with verses 11, 10 and 11. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And so the question, you know, when, when we get to this point in these Beatitudes, the question that quickly comes to mind is who in the world is this referred to? I believe it refers to immediately to all of those that are being described in verses 3 through 9. In other words, I believe that refers to all of us. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, Yea, and, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what the scripture said. I don't uh, really know how to put this any other way, and so I'll just say it this way. That what verse... 10 and 11 says just goes with the territory. If you're going to live for God, somebody's not going to be happy about that. And so we, to some extent, share the reproach of Jesus Christ. Jesus was reproached. We share, Paul said, the fellowship of his suffering. Amen. I, I know we like to dance and shout and we love all the blessings of the Lord and we love it when we pray and God answers that prayer but, but we also need to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and, uh, 
and, and so we can't expect to live in direct opposition to Satan without antagonizing that system. And so how many of you have ever been on a journey of prayer or fast and you all of a sudden you started fighting all kind of nonsense because you see you can't challenge, you can't live in opposition to the enemy and he not put up a fight. And so I really think that if we're to, to like Christ and if we're to be boldly and live boldly as he lived and if we speak the truth of God then, then we can only expect that we're going to produce the same reaction that some people is going to respond to some degree that was produced when Jesus Christ was on this earth. He spoke out against evil. Yes, he did. He spoke out against false doctrine. Yes, he did. Amen. He, he, he did not and was not brought into the social circles of that day. As a matter of fact, he was cast out of the social circles of that day. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we will be guilty of just wanting the world to embrace us. But I promise you this, we better be careful who we let embrace us. The Bible says we need to beware when all men speak well. There's some people you don't want singing your praises. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be aligned with that. Amen. I want the Spirit of the Lord to touch our heart. Amen. Let's stand. Can we together? What a great presence of the Lord. And so what, what, what brings about what we feel here tonight? What brings that about? I, I really believe with all my heart that it's not just what we do in this hour and a half here or not what we do in a few hours on Sunday. I'm not taking away from our praise or worship or our corporate gatherings, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I think what really matters is what happens when we walk out of the door and, and Monday morning we go to work and and just how we deal with people and situations and circumstances, how we treat our, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our brothers and our sisters, it's how we do business, it's how we carry ourselves and how we conduct ourselves. Somebody's, somebody's watching. Somebody's watching. I shared it with you, and I'll close with this. I had no idea. I had no idea Monday morning that anybody was even watching. I was just doing what I do. I was thinking about what I need to do next. But somebody was watching. Somebody was analyzing. I declare to you that the spirit of a man precedes a man. Your spirit goes before you. And so I want to have the right spirit. I want to do what God would have me to do and I'm speaking tonight because I have the mic. I'm not the only one that somebody watched this week. I'm not the only one that, and I'm being very serious when I say this, I'm not the only one that someone detected a glow in your life. Someone detected something different. There's just something different. I'm not the only one. I'm no fool. And so I say, Lord, help us tonight to be what you'd have us to be. Let's worship him. Amen. Would you just make an altar where you stand? Let's let the Spirit, the presence of God touch us. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.